Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. That's the church, right? That's the church going into the world. You know, the church built hospitals and took care of people. It's not all about the religion, right? We, we've Unfortunately, we've been sold the religious version, right? We've been sold the, you have to do things our way. You have to believe this. You have to think this. And if you don't, you're going to hell. And oh, by the way, if I don't approve of your lifestyle, all you're going to see of me is my finger pointing in your face. I mean, the world doesn't need that. The world needs love. In fact, that's what Jesus said. He said the only, he gave us a one formula, right? There aren't any formulas to get stuff from God except believe. But as far as how to be effective in reaching the world, there was one formula, love. He said, your love for one another, me and you should have such love for one another in our relationship that when the world sees it, because we are believers, they'll say, there's something different about them. Those guys must follow Jesus. Look at the kind of love they have for each other. Instead, sometimes the world looks at the church and says, hold your wallet. Or, you know, I wonder what they're really doing. You know, I don't, I don't want the world to have that kind of view of the church anymore. I want us to be so real and so open and transparent with people, even in our faults, but so full of love that there's an obvious difference, that it's like you can't love people that much unless you've got some kind of help. What's your secret? And then that we're so one with each other, this is the formula to reach the world, that they see our love for one another in our marriages, in our friendships, in how we treat our community, in what we do within our community. And then what we do together to reach people that they feel so impacted by his love, they say yes. You can't argue with love. You can argue with, you know, maybe a literal six-day creation or how Noah got all those animals on the ark. You know, people have their things that they bring up. But it's like you can't argue with love. There's something deep down that touches you that you just, you just, you just, there's something, you just know there's something. There's something about this. It, it is self-evident. The love of God is self-evident. And that's, that's how you reach people. That's how you touch people. That's how you make a difference in the world. Walk in love. You know, sometimes the best way that you can show love is you keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, you might be exercising much grace to just shut up sometimes. <laughs> I said the S word, yeah. We don't actually say that in our house. I save it for you guys. Don't you, don't you feel special? <laughs> but that's what church is. The church is, look, I see you. I know what you're going through. I want to help you. I'm not going to judge you. I want to be with you. Let's link arms. Let's walk through this together. And on the way, let's love the people that are around us because that's the kind of love that God showed us. He looked at us when we were dead in our sin, in our darkest moment, and he said, I think now's the perfect time to die for them. I think when they are at their worst is what is the most, is the time that I have such compassion for them. I want to go into their experience and die as them so they can be with me. That's the good news. That's the gospel. 
But instead, we've been given kind of all these systems and structures and lists and seven books of how to get stuff from God or seven steps of whatever. No, that's not, that's not Christianity. Christianity is looking at your creator and said, I don't understand it all. I don't have all the questions. I see the world. I see the stuff that's out here. I have problems with what I see in the world, but I'm willing. Reveal yourself. I'm willing to have you lead me. I'm willing to be changed and transformed by you. I'm willing to just, to just, just open my heart to you and see what happens. You know, a lot of times the world isn't willing because why? For what? They see us and they're like, well, I don't know if I want to be like you. Nurses, you know. I think about nurses and the difficulties they see. Any nurses in here? Or even military, law enforcement. People that see the dark side of the world, you know. It's like you look at that stuff and you think... I don't know if I could do that. I know when my dad was, you know, dying of cancer and those women, most, there were mostly women that were there that were nurses. I was thinking, I don't know if I could see this every day. I don't know, I don't know if I could do that. I mean, that's hard. We have a family that was in here in the first service and just an incredible tragedy just happened to them. What I do know is that the peace of God passes understanding. There is a peace that you can't explain. It's not intellectual. It doesn't come because you get the information and you understand it. It's like this. If you could choose understanding or you could choose peace, peace is better. Amen. Amen. And it's not that you suspend your brain and you don't have the understanding. It's just that peace is better. And that's what, that's what the body of Christ should be focusing on. How do we bring people into such an encounter with the love of God that they're set at peace? There's comfort. He says, I am a comforter. I will be with you. I will never leave you. I know that you just had a loss, and it's unfair. It is tragic, and it is horrific, and it should not happen on this planet. But I'm with you. I will walk with you. So then we ask those questions, you know, why? 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 Why does it happen? Why is this? Why is it like that? And I, I think there's really only one answer, and that is it's not God's will. I mean, what we see on this planet right now, it's, I don't know how much of God's will it is. It's a little bit God's will. But if you want to see God's will, you look at the garden. Perfection, right? Absolute perfection. I mean, they had every provision that they needed. All they had to do was wake up, tend the garden, and partake of what God had created for them, a planet for two people to populate. That sounds pretty fun. <laughs> and then you look in eternity, and you see perfection, even better, eternal perfection. That's God's will. Everything else in between is mankind co-laboring with God because he gave us this planet <coughs> and said, you have dominion over this planet, now subdue it. And so what did we do? We let sin come in, and, and, and we judge and we point and we get mad and we withdraw and we question and it's like you know what let's just let all that stuff go and just connect with God in our hearts and let that transform us and live toward him because he loves us there's one idea I want to leave with you today you've heard it you know it but I want it to just be a seed within you that just grows <laughs> even more and that is your acceptance before God is because of what Jesus did I mean, it just is. 
take away all the junk and just throw it out the window and just look at Jesus. Jesus, I don't, I don't know all the stuff, but I'm willing to look at you. I see you. I believe that you did something for me, and I want that. And I want to show you what he did. If you go to 2 Corinthians 5.21, just kind of walk you through a progression here of what happens within you and what he actually did, because we're celebrating resurrection, right? We're celebrating him coming up out of that grave. But before he he rose from the dead, he was on the cross. And God was presiding over the sacrifice. It's a, it's a, it's a manifestation of the type and the shadow that we, have under the, that we had under the old covenant of the priest doing the one-time-a-year atonement sacrifice for the sin of the nation of Israel. This is the manifestation of that. It's the real thing. It's not just a representation. All of that pointed to, it was supposed to condition their minds and their hearts so that once they saw the real thing of Jesus, they would say, oh, we've been doing this sacrificial system for so long, but now the real thing is here. Now we can actually have forgiveness and atonement and be cleansed of our sin. Because one of the things that Jesus did on that cross was this. God, for he, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us. See, we, sin is described as like a noun. It's almost like a force. It's like, an, it's, like an, it's like something that Adam and Eve let into the world, opened up, or however it got into the world, it came into the world, and mankind chose to participate with it. It's like the force of gravity or something, right? It's, it's, a, it's a force that comes in that you can allow to bear fruit in your heart or not, bear fruit in your actions or not. And so once it's in you, it starts to define you. It starts to drive you. You become a slave to it. It starts to, it it actually separates you from God under the Old Testament, it says. But what he did, and now he did this for the entire world. It's really phenomenal what happened. He who knew no sin, see, Jesus lived the way that he did so that he could become the perfect sacrifice and exchange places with you. You know, that's, how, that's the best way to understand what Jesus did is he is perfect in heaven, we were not, and he exchanged places so that we could be with God through what he did. So he became sin. God made him to be sin. He didn't just put your sin in a backpack and throw it on his back. He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to bear the effects of sin. He became our sin. You could call it a sin nature. You could call it the root of sin, whatever you want to call it. But he took upon that for the whole world, into himself. And when you believe, it says there is a circumcision that happens in your heart, that it cuts out that root of sin. You get a new heart, and God's Spirit takes up residence within you. So he became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, righteousness, 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 there we go, is not a walkway like up to heaven. You know, it's not a stairway to heaven. It's not a bar that you've got to be able to jump over. Righteousness is not something that you attain by your efforts. It's not something that you progress up to. It's a gift. It's Jesus saying, this is what I look like before the Father. I'm going to give it to you. Now here you have it. Now you can be with God just like I am, just because I love you and I want you to have this. You can't be good enough on your own. We know that, right? 
I mean, those arguments that you have with yourself in your head, you know. I, I had those. I remember when I was first getting, when I first was considering becoming born again, and I was crazy. I, you know, some of y'all read the story, but I'd done some drugs and had these, I was hearing voices. And once I decided that I was, it was possible for me to become born again, that was the, that was the argument that I had with myself was, I don't know if I can live that way. Because even not being raised in church, I still had in my mind a religious perspective of if you're a Christian, you got to be perfect. I didn't understand that perfection was given to me. I had the conversation. I remember. Well, I don't know if I can live that. I don't know if I should be a Christian because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't know if I can do that. You know, thinking that I was limited. I wish somebody had told me about grace from the beginning. But it wasn't too much longer I got in the Word and Jesus revealed it to me. But because you come to Him and you say yes, and when you say yes, this exchange becomes effectual for you. So He's become your sin on the cross, and lots of different things happen. But to me, the most powerful part is after He actually dies and He passes into the grave Personally, if you read the Psalms, there's lots of prophetic Psalms. I'm going to rabbit trail here for a minute. I'm going to give you some homework, all right? Even you visitors, I'm going to give you all some homework. There's a test next week, so that means you got to come back. <laughs> but go home and read Psalm 18. And read it from the perspective of this. This is the Messiah's experience in the grave and being born out of the grave. And Jesus quotes some of the Psalms toward the end of his life. Even on the cross, he's quoting some of the Psalms. It's a reflection. It's a, it's a prophetic utterance from way before he ever even got here, and it confirms to give us insight of what he was going through. Because you read the Gospels, and you don't really get a whole lot of detail about what he went through. But, if, but Acts 2, Peter stands up and he sets the precedent that one of the Psalms is prophetic of, of the Messiah that David wrote, so you have the precedent there set that you can tie those together. Psalm 18 is one of those. I'm telling you, it's incredibly powerful. Would you read it? Go home and read it. And read it through the lens of this is what the Messiah experienced on my behalf. The whole resurrection happens, I think, in Psalm 18. So he's in the grave, right? You can say Hades, Sheol, not the lake of fire, the final judgment, but that place. He's cut off. And he's down there. He's dead. D-E-D, -E -D, dead. That's what Reese said. Reese, that's Ethan. Ethan. It's a movie. <laughs> yeah. He's, and, he's, and he is. But think about this. See, the word of God is so powerful. The promises of God are so alive that that's what Jesus held on to when he was in that grave, when he was in Hades. He remembered that God had promised to him that you would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That basically means spiritual, eternal priesthood. You will be at my right hand. Your enemies will be your footstool. And Jesus is there. He's, now, we, what's the most powerful force you can think of? You know, most of us would say death if you think about it. It's like there's no coming back from that, right? You're dead, you're gone, except for Jesus. Because his faith was in what God had promised him to the degree that his faith actually stayed connected with the Father to the degree that that pulled him out of the grave. Death could not hold him. 
I mean, we say these things, but think about it. His faith, his, his trust in what God had promised him was stronger than death. That's pretty strong. Now think about this. It says now we live, this is Galatians 2.20, we live by the life or by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live by that faith. You have a power within you that is stronger than anything you will ever face. Some of us are just try, still trying to do it on our own. We still try to, we think, oh, I got this. This is good. I'm good here. Especially if we've missed it. If you've done something really wrong or in sin, you think you've got to struggle to get back to that place of grace. No, God doesn't turn his back on you. Does that mean sin's okay? No. Thank you. It's weird how some people think that you're saying that. But he's in that grave, and his, he remains faithful, but his faith actually conquers death for you on your behalf. You don't have to taste death. You pass through it. But what happens next to me is, I don't know, I can't get away from it. I could, I could probably preach it every weekend, and it still just resonates with me. But it's this idea, and we see it under the old covenant. The one time a year, the high priest would make the day of atonement sacrifice that the blood was representative of covering for the sin of the nation of Israel. But when the priest would make the sacrifice of one of the goats, he would cut the goat and he would capture the blood and he would take the blood and he would swirl it and he would walk to the Holy of Holies on the earth and he would say, don't touch me, I've not yet offered the blood of the sacrifice. So the people would have to give him space because it was just very ceremonial and he would swirl it and he'd keep it alive and he'd go in and he'd make the offering. That was only symbolic that because they had faith in what God had given them, it worked, but it was, only, it was supposed to point to when Jesus came, the real thing would happen. So do you remember when Jesus rose and he's outside the tomb and Mary's out there and she goes up and he says, oh, wait, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. You ever wondered about that? That's because in that moment he was functioning as your eternal high priest to go into the heavenlies and offer his blood. Let's look at Hebrews 9. Because you talk about this and people think, well, that's weird. And we forget that it's actually in the Word. Hebrews 9, this is 11 and 12. It says, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Next verse. Not with the blood of goats and calves, as that's a reference back to the Old Covenant, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Man, there's just something about this. You know, we think of like the spiritual realm of God, like it's out there, far off, distant, removed from us. But no, he took his own blood. He took human blood into that place. Why? Because the life is in the blood. And so he was exchanging lives. He was taking perfect, sinless, atoned for human blood into that heavenly holy of holies before the Father saying, look, here is perfection. This is perfect. This is perfect life. And what it says is he cleansed that place from the defilement that, the, that Satan was in there and brought accusations against mankind. It says that he made the offering for the atonement of the sin of the world. And you can have it 
or not have it. You just say yes to him. And when you say yes to him, it becomes effective for you. You know, we don't understand that. It's like, really? I mean, I don't get that. I don't understand it. Well, our little pea brains aren't going to understand that, but, but it doesn't it resonate. I mean, there's just something about that. You know, even the clouds are saying amen right now. <laughs> there's just something about that. that. That is your righteousness. That is your life. You experiencing that process leaves you holy. Now, y'all have heard me preach this before, but does it ever get old? I don't think so. Not for me. Y'all just have to bear with it anyway. So then he does this. I think he does this. Let's read Colossians 1.22 first. Then I'll just kind of give you my thoughts on it. But Colossians 1.22 says that it, this is after it's describing what he did on the cross. It's talking about that circumcision made without hands that takes that root of sin out of you and leaves you, leaves you holy. It says this. This is what Jesus does. In the body of his flesh, through death, he presents you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Above reproach is kind of like, that's, where, that's like the application of the law of double jeopardy. You can't be tried for something that you've already been convicted for. And you can't be tried for something that Jesus was already tried and convicted for on your behalf. Amen. There's no penalty for you to pay because Jesus already paid it. Amen. You don't have to worry about being rejected by God because Jesus already was on your behalf. No matter what you do, if you say yes to him, and this is how you've entered the presence of God, you can't run away from it. Now, I mean, I guess you could say, I don't want it and give it back or something like that, but no, this is, this is, a, this is an exchange that remains. Amen? So I think what happens is Jesus... It's like he's made this sacrifice, and then I think he turns to the world and he says, I've removed sin. I have taken care of everything. Now enter through the veil of my flesh and my blood. And it's like as you do spiritually, this becomes effective for you, and it cleanses you. It makes you... Per and, and I can just see Jesus, you know. I just see him standing there before the Father with you in his arms, and he's holding you, and he's looking at you, and he looks at the Father and he says, look what I've done. I've made them holy. Now they can be with us. Now they can reside here. Now they can have the gift of eternal life. Not because anything that they've done or not done, but because of what I have done, because of what we have done. And you're in that. And it's like they stood there and looked at each other and said, they promised to keep whoever enters in that agreement safe. Man, because he's good. Yeah. Psalm 105 says he's good. His mercy, his love endures forever. That's what we want the world to know, right? I mean, Christianity is not about learning a bunch of stuff. It's not about knowing chapter and verse. It's about knowing Jesus. Amen. It's about trusting him. It's about saying, I don't, I don't know. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know all those answers. But I'm willing to believe what you did was for me. I'm willing to acknowledge that what you did was for me because you love me. This is what we offer the world. This is what we go into the world and say, look, I, I'm proof. I was messed up. 
and God saved me. I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. I mean, unquestionable that what God did through Christ changed me and put me in that place of being able to live with him forever. It had nothing to do with what I did. I had messed up so bad. Nuts, I mean, lost in my mind. But still, his love was able to transform. You know, it just, it just starts. So Christianity from then on is one thing, and that is renewing your mind to actually believe that what he did is effective for you in every area. That's all that's left. There's two things left for you. Renew your mind according to his truth. That's why we have church, right? You don't need me. You don't need some preacher. You don't need any preacher. Let me just tell you. I'll let you off the hook. No preacher is your father. No preacher is your covering. Jesus is your covering. No preacher, no apostle, none of that stuff is your authority. God is your authority. We're brothers and sisters. You could take this place or leave this place. You could come once a year on Easter if you want, like Kopi says, the CEO Christian Christmas Easter. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares if you're late? Honestly, I don't need you to impress me. Who are you trying to impress if you're worried if you're late or if you don't come enough? I mean, come on. Religion has just robbed people from an actual relationship from God. This, why we do this, is encouragement. It's because I, I look at people and I say, man, yeah, I care about what they're going through. I want to be there. I don't, know, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to do for them, but I can be there. You know, I'm thankful for these guys that are starting some small groups where we can, you know, we're at a place now where we've got two services and we don't all get to know each other. Although Friday was cool because that's kind of a glimpse of what it'll be like once we knock these walls out for us all to be together at least for a little while. I'm rabbit trailing now. That's what it's about. That's why we do this community. We just come in and say, you know what? I just, I just want to help. I just want to love you. I just want to show the world there's a better way. I want people to have peace. I want people to know how good God is. I want people to be able to let go of their self-judgment and, the, and their, their disappointment in life and just actually connect with a renewing that's real and deep and changes you. Isn't that what you want for people? I mean, you see people hurting, and you feel like, what can I do? And we cross all these boundaries, and we get into these codependencies, and we do things for people that we shouldn't do, that only God can do for them. Don't do that. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) But point them to God. Look at the baby. See, if this were a living room, it's like, this isn't church. We just, look at, we just look at babies. If you come in here with a baby, I'm just going to stare at it and preach to it. Y'all want to do that? Y'all want to just trust God and love people? Amen. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for the freedom that we have in you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for giving us your spirit so that we can experience what Jesus inherited. And we commit 
to walking in love toward each other and toward the world as we trust you. Thank you, Lord. Just keep your head down, your eyes closed. You know, if you, you say, I, 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 don't, I don't know, maybe. You're thinking maybe. I've got a question for you. Are you willing to believe that what Jesus did was for you? Are you willing to believe that what he did was for you? Let everything else go. That's the one question. Maybe what he did was for me. You've never made that decision. You don't know. But you'd like to answer yes to that question. Yeah, I'm willing to believe what he did was for me. For the first time or maybe again. Just lift up your hand. Look at me. Make some kind of acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. 